So welcome to Confessions of a Serial Seller. I have a, the, a sales legend, I'm going to call him. He's one of my sales heroes, a guy I've followed for so many years. He's an author of Gap Selling. He, he's a, a regular Forbes contributor, and he's president and CEO of A Sales Guy Consulting. Welcome, Keenan, to my podcast. Thanks, my man. Happy to be here. Appreciate it. No, thank you. It's, it's honestly, a, an honor and a privilege. So, Keenan, tell my, my audience a little bit about how you first got into sales and how you got to be the leader that you now are. That's kind of a, a complex question. So, how did I start my sales career or how did I start selling? Selling. Because I know you've been selling for years and years, right? I, I, I want to know a bit about where your journey began. I think it just began as a kid. You know, I was a, a kid who kind of, I don't know, just probably a bit selfish, probably a narcissistic kid who always wanted to do what he wanted to do. So sort of like Tom Sawyer, I always had to convince the other kids to play my games or to, to what I wanted them to do or where I wanted them to go. And so I think just subconsciously over time, I learned how to influence people. And that's what selling is really about is your ability to influence people based on their desired outcomes and based on their current state, et cetera. So yeah. I, that combined with being super competitive, you know, I, I was the kid who would sell more raffle tickets for his school fundraiser. Yeah. I'm the kid who would start lemonade stands. I'm the kid who would, you know, knock on doors when it snowed and convince people to let me shovel their driveways for 10 bucks. Like, Love so it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Been doing it my whole life. Fantastic. And then in your career, I know now you're the president of a sales guy. I want to hear more about that shortly. But what led you to set that business up? Um, so it was an accident, kind of. So, you know, I was always working for the man. I had a couple startups that, that you know, did well, but then ultimately failed or something that didn't do well at all and just was a money pit or whatever. But yeah. um, in 2009, I started a blog. And uh, the whole purpose of that blog was to help accelerate my career growth. I thought, look, every time I needed a job, it took me anywhere from six months to a year to find a new one yeah. because of the level I was for how young I was. I was younger than most people in that level of job. Yeah. And so I was like, this is bullshit. And so I just said, if I start a blog and write and share my thoughts on how to run sales teams, how to do pipeline reviews, how to, you know, what type of processes to implement, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I might have a couple thousand followers. And if I ever need a job, all I have to say is, I'm looking for a job on my blog and it might shorten the timeline. Yeah. yeah. Well, after 712 straight days of blogging, all of a sudden I'm listed as a top sales blog, you know, top 25 sales blog, top 25 sales influencers, you know, just yeah. blah, blah, blah. People asked me to speak and I had, was getting 20,000 views a day. So then it, so then I decided, well, someone reached out after that and said, Hey, I'm having problems. I've been reading your blog. Do you do consulting? And I was like, okay. And I threw out a number and they said, oh, okay, fine. We'll start next week. And then it happened again. And I was like, all right, let's tr give this a shot. So I wrote on my blog, I'm starting a sales guy consulting and boom, it took off. Amazing. Amazing. And you touched on, you know, when you were a kid, you were super competitive and I'm sure you still are. Uh, and obviously you, you, you put in the graft. What, what else would you say your sales success has been down to? I... I think it's two things for me. And I think this probably goes with success in anything. I think one, I had a natural proclivity to do it, right? So, yeah. you know, um, you know, some people have natural proclivity for, for singing or a natural proclivity for writing or a natural proclivity for, for math or medicine. Mm -hmm. I don't know, like everybody has these natural talents, right? Yeah. So I was lucky enough to sort of 
recognize I had whatever talent it is to make it that allows me to influence people well. But mm. then I was committed to the craft. Mm. And so over time, my commitment to understanding how it works, my commitment to getting better, my awareness on what I was doing and what worked and what didn't work. Mm. I think you combine those two things and success will follow. I mean, a, a good example as well is my youngest daughter is a, a mogul skier. She's only nine yeah. years old and wow. nine years old don't compete across the entire nation. But um, in our region, she's the best nine-year-old there is. And so yeah. arguably she's probably one of the best nine-year-old mogul skiers in the, in the country, if not the world, right? And so she has a proclivity to mogul skiing, but what makes her so good is she actually loves it and she watches video and she practices and she pays attention. And yeah. so she's getting better than other kids yeah. who just do it for fun. Yeah, and no, I think that's so key, actually. I think, as you said, you've got to, the, from the best salespeople in the world that I've, I've had the pleasure on my podcast, like Gittimer and Jeb Blunt and Vic Antonio, names I'm sure you're familiar with, that they've all said they're work in progress and they're constantly learning, growing, developing themselves, right? Yes. Uh, I think it's key. You, you talk about, I know you're like the finder of the elephant in the room. Tell, tell my audience a little bit more about that. I just don't. I just don't handle people avoiding conflict and yeah. letting problems fester. So I'm literally the guy that's like, really? I mean, guys, let's just, this is the problem. Okay. So yeah, yeah it may not make comfort, may not make Mary comfortable, or it may make John look a little vulnerable or may make me look a little vulnerable, or we may not have a solution for it, but please stop avoiding it. Let's just freaking say it so we can move on. Yeah. Can you give me an example, a recent sales example with either within your business or one of your clients? That's a great question. Um, nothing's come to the top of my head because I guess it's so common. I don't even really feel it anymore. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, yeah, I really can't write off the top of my head. Actually. No, that's cool. That's cool. Well, what would you say from, well, I mean, this is going to be a tough question, but you, you've worked with thousands of sales professionals. You, you've trained thousands. If there were sort of your three top tips that you could serve my audience with? What, what comes to mind first? I think the first one is, is stop selling your product. No one really gives a shit about your product. No one gives a shit about what it does. Like mm. just stop peddling your product, mm. right? And learn to understand the problems that the buyer is struggling with. Yeah. I think the second one would be have empathy. So have empathy for what your client is going through. Have empathy for the people that you sell to, to, mm. the, business, uh, to the environments in which they do business. Mm. What are the struggles? What are the difficulties? What are the opportunities? Be very empathetic to that. And I think the third one is learn to ask questions yeah. and ask good questions. Don't ask what I call self-diagnosis questions. Yeah. Ask, learn to ask um understanding questions or evaluation questions. Yeah, I think that's a really, all three are great tips. So what's your advice for my listeners who, who ask you, in my experience, they ask closed and loaded questions. What's the best way that they can create, design, what I would call killer questions? So killer questions are, from a gap selling perspective and how I look at it, are customized and unique. And you can't really you can't script them. There's yeah. no such thing as a killer question that's going to be able to just go in and you can ask any buyer. You have to be able to get the conversation going yeah. and be able to be in the conversation and paying attention to the conversation 
where all of a sudden you'll see the killer question. Yeah. Um, you know, in my book, for instance, I talk about this company who, um, who was an early client for me several years ago. Mm. And the, the head of sales was trying to grow sales. And I kept asking him all these questions. And it first started, he just wanted to improve his sales time and his sales team in case of a downtime. Yeah. Because I kept asking him questions. It started to be obvious that there was something more there, but I couldn't figure out what it was. Mm. And then he, and then somewhere along the line, he said, we have a, gro- a goal of getting to 2020. This was like three or four years ago. Yeah. Um, we we want to get to 48 million in 2020. Mm. And I was like, why do you want to get to 48 in 2020? Like, why is that a goal? Yeah. And that was the killer question because how he answered that after changed everything. But I couldn't have known that was coming until I had the conversation go. That makes sense. That makes sense. And I I think so many salespeople don't question things further. They don't go deep. And what what do you believe that's down to? They're too focused on their product. Yeah. They're just trying to find that one root cause, the one person to say they have one particular root cause or technical problem that their product service solves so they can jump in and try to sell to it. Yeah. Right. I, I want to understand the total breadth of the problem. Currently, what is the problem today? What is the impact of that problem exists? How is it affecting the organization? Where do they want to go? What is the new impact or desired outcome they're looking to achieve? How big is the space or gap between where they are today and where they want to go tomorrow? So yeah. I don't stop until I get all that. And that you yeah. can't do that with questions. Yeah, no, I think that's fantastic. I know reading some of your stuff, you talk about how sales has changed massively in the last, say, 10 years. Can you share some light on, on how you see it changed? Yeah, I think the chills, the chills, the sales environment has changed. Selling, good selling hasn't changed. It's just people don't know how to do it. But we rely so much more on the tools and the technology and the processes I mean, when you literally, we're talking about a sales stack. Let's think about that, right? Yeah. And we're talking about a sales stack that could include Salesforce, Slack, Outreach, or um, uh, Sales Loft. It can include, um, uh, oh, why, why am I not thinking all of a sudden? Um, just went blank. But there's a whole bunch of things that we yeah. have, right? In our, oh, it include um, Vidyard or BombBomb for video. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just people's sales stacks can be just ridiculous on how yeah. big they are. Right. Yeah. You know what my sales stack was when I got into sales in 1997? <laughs> a phone, a phone book. Yeah. A phone book and a phone, not even a cell phone. Yeah. Just a phone book and a phone yeah. was my sales stack 20 years ago. So <clears throat> I think there's too much emphasis and too much reliance on the tools, technologies, and the processes. Yeah. Not enough on the actual selling element of it. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more, actually. And you, you spoke about your book, Gap Selling. Tell us, uh, the audience, a bit about that, the premise behind it, and then some nuggets that they can take away from it. I mean, the premise is fairly simple. It's, it's Gap Selling is built to align with how we decide. Um, and our job as salespeople is to be change influencers and yeah. to influence someone's dis- decision to change. So if you think about how we change, whether it's conscious or subconscious, whether it's a decision to buy a new car or, you know, simply, um, you know, pick someone to, to get on your podcast or to yeah. stop for gas on the way home or not stop for gas on the way home. No matter what the decision is, we go through the same process. The very first thing we do, consciously or subconsciously, is we assess our current state. Yeah. We do that. Sometimes it's a long assessment, sometimes it's immediate. Where am I now? What's going on? Is it tenable? 
Yeah. The minute we determine it's not tenable or it's untenable, yeah. we look up to the future and say, okay, what could our current state be if we change? Mm. If we decide to change, what could our new current state look like or our desired outcome? Yes. Once we determine that, we then evaluate what is the space in between? Like, what's the gap? How big a difference is it? Yeah. That is the value. That's the value. And so <clears throat> gap selling was written to help salespeople sell in alignment yeah. with how we decide. Fantastic. I love, I love the premise. So what, what's your best advice on, you touched earlier about the three what you, your three top tips, and one of them was about empathy. One of them was about and be able to influence that buyer, uh, which clearly you've had major success in your career. What's one of the best ways you feel you can influence a buyer's decision process? You got to get them to understand and, and properly assess and measure and define their current state. Yeah. Remember, no one's going to move until they determine that their current state is untenable. Yeah. Well, most people do this subconsciously, so they're not even exact. They haven't really properly measured it. They know it doesn't feel good because something happened. Like, oh, I need a new car, right? Yeah. And a lot of times people say they need a new car, and that takes them three, five, six months, even a year to get a new one. Why? Because they haven't actually sat down and done a full assessment. If someone yeah. wants a new car and I'm a salesperson and they come in and, and try to buy from me, they won't leave that freaking lot. Until I have them completely enveloped in why they need a new car and they're probably going to buy or why they don't need a new car and they're thanking me like, oh, you just saved me a bunch of money. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, for the salesperson through questions to dust off that confusion to make the subconscious conscious and to make absolutely clear what their current state is and what a potential desired future state is so that buyer can be like, oh, I like that. That's worth it. Like it, it's tangible. Yeah. Most salespeople don't do is it's not tangible and yeah. so people buy on subconscious or a rough feeling or they try to sell stuff on a rough feeling and it's not as effective yeah i love that i love that i know you you've surrounded yourself with experts for, for many many years and 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 learn i'm sure from many experts what's some of the best sales advice you've ever been given wow um I guess I'm sure I've been given tons of advice, but I think the one that stuck with me the most that came at the earliest in my career mm. is selling is not telling. Yes. Yes. And it goes back to what you said, right? Don't put up bash. Don't feature, but I don't want to hear about it. It's boring. It's shit. I want to know how you can help me move me from A to B, right? Yes. And you can't do that until you understand the problem. And you can't do that until you get them to talk to you. Yeah. If, if you had, and this might be tough for you, Keenan, but because you, you've written so much great content over the years. What, if you had one sales mantra, what apart from, you know, you can't, don't sell, tell, what, apart from that, what would your one mantra be? It's what I saw, talk about in the book, right? You need to be a problem centric seller, not a product centric seller. Yeah. And really uncover those problems. Yep. Look, nobody buys without a problem, period. So if you're going to buy because of a problem, you as a salesperson better understand what the problem is.
And some of you touched on it. You gave a really good example where the killer question just came out from a conversation where you know you, you took you had the I guess the the brains to say why forty eight million by twenty twenty right because that is an obvious. But what advice can you give to my listeners who struggle to find the real problem? They got to spend less time educating themselves on their product. They need to spend more time educating themselves on the businesses they sell into in business in general, right? I talk a lot in the book about the types of personalities or, or traits that make good gap sellers and their things and their things like um, business acumen, their things like curiosity, critical thinking, problem solving. And so my mind just works in a way that when I'm talking to a head of sales and it's in 2016 and he's telling me about some goal in 2020 yeah. and I'm like, well, like in the way he said it, it just, I don't know. I just teed in onto like, why is that important? It would seem it just see something clicked inside of me that said like of all the times 2020 and why that number, like it just yeah. arbitrary and it didn't make sense why they were chasing some arbitrary number, but it wasn't arbitrary. And that was why it was a killer question. Yeah. I learned by asking him that their um, the value of their companies or the way companies are valued um, and the valuations were done after a company was 45 million or higher, double. So if you're under 45 million companies like his sold for like two or three X, if you're over 45 million, all of a sudden it started selling for three to four X. And so that was, that was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. So once that was on the table, then I was like, well, wait a minute, it's a private company. So who does that affect? Just the owner? And he was like, no, a handful of us senior executives just purchased from the owner shares. So there's a whole, there's a small crew of us and we just spent our own money yeah. buy out the owner. And now we have shared equity in this, you know, the, the ratios weren't the same, but they all had shared equity. And I'm like, oh, like all of a sudden this was becoming crystal clear. And then I asked the question, well, how far are you? You've been growing 20% year over year. So this is, this is why it was a killer question and why I can't yeah. teach can't teach this people just have to pay attention and learn it yeah i said well, wait 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 wait. you're growing 20 percent over year over year so most sales people think they don't have a problem they're growing 20 percent yeah and i said but wait and i kind of quickly did the math and i said at your current rate where you are now you're not going to hit the 48 million yeah and by 2020 he said you know yeah you're right and i said but you're off by seven million because i never really thought about exactly how much i was off and i said watch this i said Add that seven million to what you're off. What does your growth rate have to be now? Yeah. And he did the math and he said it's thirty-seven percent. I said, How the hell are you gonna go thirty-seven percent right now? Yeah. Next thing he knows is like, okay, when can you come on? Right? Um, so well, that's I, how it's done. You just I, you just have to know things. I'm dying to hear because I was gonna ask you, I was curious of why why you've explained that, but we're now in twenty twenty. What happened with that company? They are, they've made it or they've come within a, a couple of million. Okay, fine. So they got over that 45 hurdle. Yes. yes. Amazing. Amazing. Yes. Love that. I worked with, work with them for three years or no, 18 months, 18 months. So yeah, their total gap sellers through and through. I'm actually still working with them. I shouldn't say stop. Love through it. And through. Love Full it. Long gap sellers. Yep. What would you say your, again, this is going to be hard for you, I'm sure, but your top, if you had to say your top three sales books that have taught you the most, that's given you most insight to be, to be a huge success. Yeah. Love it. yeah um, one is challenger sale. Love that one. I've got, I've got Matt Dixon next on my podcast. The guy's a legend, right? 
Which, who do you have? Um, Matt Dixon? Matt Dixon, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, um, tell him I said hi. He, he, if you see on the top of my book, he called Gap Selling fresh and provocative. Great guy. Love it. Um, so I love Challenger Sale. Yeah. Um, that was, I loved it because when it came out, it was someone finally said something different than what everybody else had been saying for so long. Agreed. Um, another one, now this is time consistent. You know, like you got to remember like the timing of when I read it, but at the yeah. end of the time, hope is not a strategy. Love that one. I've not read that. Who is that boy? Uh, Rick Page, I believe. I believe he's passed away, unfortunately. But Rick Page, Hope is Not a Strategy. It was a phenomenal book in the late 90s. It was very helpful to me. Brilliant. Yeah. And then the last one is um, Execution by Larry Boston and Ram Charan, which was not a sales book per se. Yeah. It's a book on how to execute. But my personality and the way I did things, I really needed – I was all about ideas and not about execution. And that book fundamentally helped change how I looked at – it helped with my critical thinking and helped with my business acumen. Amazing, amazing. And what, what would you say, thinking back over the years you've now been selling, in any, any product, any service, what, what sale are you most proud of and why? What, what am I most proud of? Which, which sale in any, any area of your life that you've sold, from you know, as you said, from when you were a kid selling lemonade and up to selling you know, consultancy training programs, which sale in particular stands out for you most that you're most proud of and why? Um, <clears throat> it wasn't in my sales career. Okay. It was um, <clears throat> in my personal life. So when I was 24, yeah. I was going to the University of Colorado Boulder. Mm. And um, I was dating this girl <clears throat> and we were sitting in her living room and she pulled out these pictures from around the world. Like she had these pictures of young kids. Yeah. And, yeah. And she had pictures of the great wall of China and all this. I'm like, Whoa. And remember I'm 24. I think she's 21 or 22. So yeah. like, and this is in the nineties. I'm like, what? Where'd you, how, wait, how, where'd you get these? She goes, Oh, I traveled around the world. Yeah. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, yeah, yeah. I went, literally, I got on a boat and went around the world. It's called semester at sea. Right. And and I had never heard of it. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, that's amazing. I got to go, I got to go. And she's like, yeah, yeah. And I go, how much is it? $13,000. Well, 1992, this is 92, right? $13,000, you might as well set a million. You know what I'm yeah. saying? <laughs> and I was like, oh, so much for that. And then she goes, but CU, the school I was going to, University of Colorado Boulder, um, used to sponsor it. So they have scholarships. I think they have two half scholarships they give out. So that can help, but I'm like, oh my god, I mean, I was like, I, even if I get half, I'll, I'll figure yeah. out another way. I'll ask, I'll figure it out. So one yeah. step at a time. So I went down to the office and I, I got the application. And on the application, had three requirements. It said you had to write an essay mm. uh, on why you would be good. You had to have a 3.0, and oh, I forget what the other thing was. I think it was you had to, um, oh, you had to go through a, a, um, I forget what the third one was. Yeah. But anyways. So I was like, well, I got this. I'm going to, I'll write the essay. No problem. Um, oh, you had to be in financial need. That was it. And I'm nice. like, I'm in financial need. Check. <laughs> um, I'll write the essay. Check. But you have to have a 3.0. And I only had a 2.8. Yeah. And I said, fuck this. I'm still doing this. <laughs> and so I said to myself, how do I make myself stand out? And what I decided was to write an article, like a newspaper article. Remember, this is before the internet, too. Yeah. So I decided to write a newspaper article in, in format it like a newspaper article. And then all the questions that they had it, that they asked you to answer in the essay. So in the essay had like eight questions you had to answer. Yeah. It. 
I had the format as if a reporter was asking me the questions. So then I, I structured it like a newspaper. I put it in columns and I had a headline that said, see you student for cabins and then had below AP Boulder, Colorado, you know what I'm saying? All that. And then it said, you know, when asked about the trip, Keenan says, and then I answer it. And then the reporter would ask me another question. And then I copied it into a black and white, you know, piece of paper and submitted that. And then they asked me to come in for my interview. And the first thing they said, they said, before we get into the interview, we're a bit confused. Yeah. It says, according to this newspaper article, you're already going. What do you need from us? And I said, that's not a real newspaper article. That is my <laughs> essay. And they were blown away. Yeah. And then they took me through the, um, and this is actually key to the challenger sale. Then they took me through the um, interview process. And one of the questions I'll never forget, they asked me, they said, look, you'll be 25 when this trip comes up. Most of the kids yeah. will be 21 or 20, 2019, 2021. Yeah. You see your age is a way to help these other kids or act as a, um, as a, as like a, a resource for them and, and yeah. as, a, as a, like a counselor or someone like that. And I looked him in the eye and I said, no, mm. I said, these kids are 20, 21 years old. They don't want another student acting like one of the teachers or a counselor. Yeah. They don't want that. These kids are being sent along. If they're not old enough to take responsibility for themselves, there's nothing I can do to help them. This whole trip is about, coming into your own blah, blah, blah. So I challenge yeah. their premise. Love that. Rather than agreeing with them. Love and that. So long story short, not only did I get half of it, they gave me both scholarships and I went for free. Wow. And how was the trip? Once in a lifetime. I literally went to Russia, Turkey, Greece. I climbed wow. Egypt, the pyramids of Egypt at sunrise. I saw the Great Wall of China. I went to Taiwan. I went to wow. Malaysia. Wow. I went to the Hermitage. It was unfucking unbelievable. Uh, that is a fail and a half. Are you still in yep. touch with that? Are you still in touch with that lady? Um, the girl that no, no, she's married. She still isn't down. But I mean, no, she's married. Got kids. You know, shit happens. Yeah, well, I think she thought you were going to just say you got late, and that was your, your top sale. I thought, good man. Remember the key, and I tell this all the time. In is I didn't meet all their requirements yeah right they yeah. said i had a 3.0 i didn't have a 3.0 i only had a 2.8 and they still not only gave me the scholarship they gave me both so that was that was why it's the greatest sale people people take themselves out of sales too often they literally say oh <clears throat> i can't do this i don't meet the requirements i don't even try I yeah like, forget that and, what, and do you think that came down to that the fact you just thought outside the box i mean that genius initiative with the, the article what was the question? What, 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 what? Do you, yeah, what do you think it came down to? What, why did they give you the two scholarships? Do you think it was the fact you thought outside the box, did the article? Was that the, 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 the sale, do you reckon? Yeah. I, I think it was the combination of, the, of my presence in the interview to challenge them. Yeah. I think it was the creativity of the article. I think it's how I answered the questions. Because look, what I did is I said, remember, this is about influencing change, right? This is what yeah. people don't get when it comes to sales. It drives me fucking crazy. Yeah. They're always focused on themselves, right? So I sat there and I asked myself, if I'm on this selection company, i.e. empathy, put myself in their shoes, hello? Yeah. Yeah. I asked myself, what are these people looking for? Why would they want to give somebody money to go on this trip? 
And yeah. what they're looking for was somebody who they believed would get the most out of this trip yeah. and would represent them really well and make them look good and justify the money. Yeah. But you don't do that by just saying, I want to go on the trip because I think that it would be an amazing life experience. <laughs> no, dumbass. That's not what they want to see. Right? Love it. Love it. Look, Tina, my last question for you, my friend. If you went back to your, your kid self where you were, as you said, selling you know, more raffle tickets than anyone else, more, you know, setting up the lemonade stands, etc., knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to that young self? Nothing, nothing. I would, I, would, I would tell myself, hey, man, you're doing everything right. Like, keep going. I think, yeah. only, I, think if I, I think I might, there's a couple of like um, micro lessons. I'd be like, look, you're doing everything right. You're going to end up fine. You're doing great. But, you know, I'm not going to get too personal, but this little thing right here, just don't do that. Like, so in other words, yeah. it, it, unbeknownst to myself at the time, I had, my head was in the right place. I was doing a lot of stupid micro shit, but my head was in the right perspective from a macro perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes and so, sense. And I knew it even back then. People were like, oh, you're a loser. You're never going to get anywhere. I was like, fuck you. I'm smart as shit. I'll get there. Don't you worry about me. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I think I just would have told myself a couple of, you're doing everything right, but just don't stop at that gas station. You're doing everything right, but just avoid that rest area. Like yeah. they're not going to change your life. You're going to end up where you need to be, but they're going to create a little bit of unnecessary pain. You just, you just don't need that pain. Yeah. That totally. Totally. Keena, where can my listeners access your book, your content? Where's the best place for them to go? Um, the best place they can go is you can go to either Keenan.live or you can go to a salesguide.com. They'll, they'll, they'll get you to most places. Amazing. Thank you so much for giving up your time and sharing absolute pearls and wisdom. It's been, been thoroughly enjoyable. So thank you so much. My pleasure, baby. I appreciate you having me. No, my pleasure. Thank you.